after all we have done, humans are hunting us. I shouldn't care. What if he tells me that we're through? Hello, and welcome care. to the fourth Film Ireland podcast. We're down the basement here again today, that's right. After taking some time off, uh, this is Donica Tiernan, hello, and Rory Moore. Hello. Uh, we're, we, it's been a long time since we've been down here. It's been about a month, but I'm afraid the first two weeks of that were taken up watching the new Transformers film, <laughs> and the second two weeks were in direct recovery and trying to appreciate the medium again. So having correctly recuperated ourselves, we're ready to re-engage with the critical chasm. Yeah, I've run out of space on the walls to scratch out those little, you know, Marking the days things because they're claw marks from watching Transformers. It doesn't really. Oh God! It's not pretty. I mean, all robots and boom boom make. I've been in a coma for how long? <laughs> There's a world outside. All my family are dead. <laughs> we'll get to that though eventually. I mean, yeah, it, it, we're saying nothing new, but hopefully we'll say it more inventively. And uh, now. On the movie news front, since we've taken so uh, far, uh, so so long off, I think there's, there's actually been two Star Wars films since we last recorded. <laughs> well, there's one very prominent piece of news that I would just like to discuss because it's no news to anybody listening, but perhaps they'd like to hear our very enlightened opinions on it. Ryan Johnson, a very exciting man in the world of film and auteur, if you will, will be writing and directing Star Wars Episode Eight as well as scripting Nine at the moment, as it stands. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you, you're a massive Ryan Johnson fan. I am too. I'm a very big Ryan Johnson fan, I think. Are you, are you a Brothers Bloom apologist? Um, no, a lot of people I hate that term. I love it. I don't see the need for apologising so much mm. for that film. It's definitely the weakest of his three films. But it's still... Just to just to fill in now, uh, Ryan Johnson is the writer-director of Brick, the high school noir. The Brothers Bloom... I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, Sentimental caper, I don't know. It's it, Yeah, it's a bit of a camp classic uh, and then the I think his uh, piece de resistance uh, nice. Looper is just fantastic uh, his third film I think it's his best yeah um, really really a fantastic movie um, yeah I'm very excited to hear him on board with uh, Star Wars but uh, but what yeah I'm kind of like is he going to bend to what Star Wars is meant to be for all the fanboys who want it to be, you know, the same as it was in the 70s. Like, or is he going to do thing, something new? If they are actually taking it as a, a whole brain trust operation, which they seem to be doing, which to be fair, J.J. Abrams has uh, achieved with mixed results uh, uh, and in other projects. But like, in, in with Star Wars, I mean, he is a very affront personal director who makes very, very personal projects. Now, whereas... They're not a million miles to the visual palette of uh, a million miles from the visual palette of J.J. Abrams. Certainly, they're not not near as flashbangy. Uh, what I'm mainly thinking of when I when I heard this news is, let's say when Irvin Kishner originally w- uh, directed um, Empire Strikes Back, mm. George Lucas was pretty much on set the whole time, pretty much background directing. Um, well, you know, giving a giving a guide towards it and, and yeah. shaping it. Now I'm wondering, is J.J. Abrams going to be doing that? Because Ryan Johnson has never really he's he's not a big ardent out there arrogant director he makes low key films that he's able to make himself and they're generally always original yeah. and I doubt he gives much leeway to the studio system he's, the other thing is he's very grounded like you say that they're not a million miles away from the same like visual style but he I don't know he's the he's kind of the perfect balance for me between 
uh, it's become a term in and of itself Nolanized films like mm. where films are just they're too like deep after yeah like like how Godzilla suffered for me actually mm. it was kind of like it didn't need to be like <laughs> Batman might happen in a you know it's not a million miles away you know, all you need is a psychopathic billionaire Godzilla it's probably never going to happen I hope this isn't found in wreckage somewhere and people turn around and go <laughs> I just think that like no to be fair I think from a realist standpoint, I am going to say that both of those stories stand equal chance of happening. So stop <laughs> allowing the eight-year-old in your brain working the controls. Batman could happen. Believe that okay. Batman could happen because no, it, it couldn't. He it, would just die before we ever heard of him or get arrested. It, won't, it, it would be like Phil Spector. He'd end up shooting a prostitute. Bruce Wayne would just okay, go mad. Okay, like okay, he'd, okay. He'd, he'd have like, like low-level street tugs run around a maze in his garden while he shot them with an arrow. Well, what I'm convinced is actually going to happen at the end of Dark Knight Rises is like two days later, Bruce Wayne is on a headline. You know, dead because he tried to fight someone while being old and without any money or armor. But anyway, um, yeah, my my point being that Ryan Johnson, uh, like Looper, set in the future, has time traveling, but it always feels grounded. They're a great characters. Star Wars isn't set in the future. Well, yeah, long time ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I so I mentioned time travel, didn't I? Okay. Um, but basically, I feel like he can kind of give it a nice grounded feel. That I don't know. Does Jabrams Jabrams? Did I just coin a term? Is that going to be a thing? Definitely not. I, I, I don't know if he um. If he does the same thing for me, so I, I hope he's not trying to pull the strings in the background. I know he's going to have to, but I hope, yeah, I hope Brian Johnson has the kind of indie sensibilities to do his own thing. Plus, the fact that he's also scripting the ninth says a lot for me. The fact that yeah. he's going to be building storylines that maybe not he's gonna he's not gonna follow through himself. But and just to uh, clock back on your Jabram's debacle, uh, just uh, <laughs> earlier this week, I thought by accident that I had coined Rolf sexual harassment. Um, <laughs> but it turns out I didn't um, I, was, I, was, I googled it instantly and it turned out I didn't so uh, yeah that's our next bit of movie news um, no Rolf Harris uh, isn't our next bit of movie news the phrase sexual Rolf Harrisment does not belong to any film Ireland journalist it was come up with by the Daily Mail probably oh. now a uh, bit of movie news that I have that I'm super super excited about well I hope to be um, uh, there's uh, American Gods they're going to make it uh, over at the Stars Network now, I am enthusiastic, but a bit wary. As far as their TV department I go so far, I'd rather, I'd rather not talk about it. But what the Stars Network are is they have tried to branch out into an awful lot of different areas of the entertainment business. One of them being, they're very specifically like script doctors, the likes of um, Gravity, Lincoln, ran mm. through their, their, their writing department. So that, and they have... If if there even if there isn't a great deal of quality, there's a wide array of programming there. Now, American Gods, despite the fact that I love it, would be very easily made awful. Yeah, you could just focus too much on the sexual aspects of the story, um, get to, get too violent, have the characters be too much quir- too much quirk about them. It could get very, it could get really fantastic and lose the kind of Neil Gaiman sensibility that goes with that. Yeah. And that's that's what I'm afraid of. Like, it needs a lot of darkness, like yeah. American Gods, and it needs to take its time too, which I'm afraid it might not. If, oh if no, I, I I like I like the, the yeah. The, my main weariness is in fact that like I don't know. Did you see um, the American produced version of uh, About a Boy that came out this year? The TV show is yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, I, I watch anything with Mini Driver in it. That's a given. The entire movie is done in the first episode. Mm. I didn't. I I just thought that was now. Now that could be something that could, realistically they could do with over five episodes in American Gods, 
Okay, they'd be highly ambitious to try and squeeze the entire book into yeah, one episode. Yeah. But I, I do think that they could get it out of the way relatively easily. But would you want just, that? No. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't want this to be... like I, To me, this doesn't need to be... Take its time, thing. like. And it's a miniseries, yeah. yeah. And you could even insert little new excerpts into the story along the way. Sorry, we're being rude. Uh, American Gods <laughs> is Neil Gaiman's... Uh, I, I think it's the, the best Neil Gaiman book I've read. It's his book about a man called Shadow, who... Um, Gets out of prison only discovered only to discover that his uh, wife is dead and he gets approached by a man he knows as Mister White. Mister Wednesday. Mister Wednesday, that's right, in a white suit. Yes. Uh, and uh, he hires him to do a bunch of jobs, and together they travel across America, trying to round up the old gods that immigrants from all over the world have taken there with them to combat the new gods of the likes of media and the this, internet and, and the internet. And uh, it's. It, as uh, as enthused as a social commentary, it seems to be there are one or two curveballs in the plot that just that make it worth it. It's not. Yeah. It's it's so much more than a heightened metaphor. If this is done right, this will be excellent. Yeah. This will be this will be what True Blood was trying to be. What worries me though is that HBO were trying to produce this for ages and said they couldn't get the right approach mm. to bring it to screen. And I know it sounds biased, but I can't see stars having anything up over the writers HBO have access to I mean like stars like you said you don't want to linger too much on the stuff they've done before but the likes of uh, Camelot Spartacus them to me are or they to me rather um, are dog shit well it's kind of like after Twilight you walk through um, a bookshop and every single book has that font everyone they're capitalising on things that have already been done and that's what stars are to me yeah Um, which might be unfair no it's not American Gods is it's just there's nothing else really like it mm. out there at the moment. Oh, no, there is. That's the thing when you think about it. Like, I hate I like to say what? it, but like, supernatural, they could lose, it, it could end up You could, but like this, this is really, really dense. This is its own little myth. Like, supernatural is the kind of thing that will take a myth every week and, and play mm. around with it, but this it spins its own build myth. a mythology, yeah. yeah. Casting will be very important. Mm. Um, that I'll, that I'll, if they can get a big old-timer for Mr. Wednesday, I'll be convinced. Well, like a big uh, these these big uh, film actors migrating to TV. Like if if they had John Voight as Mister Wednesday, I'm yours. Mm-hmm. I'm in. Um. Anyway, well, that's going to happen anyway. They're going to cast a big name to to give it credibility. Yeah, but, yeah. And it probably would be better off with an unknown for Shadow. Yeah, absolutely. Um. But um. Yeah. As far as that goes, that's kind of wait and see at the moment, really, isn't it? Right. I've got one more that uh, I just want to say. We'll we'll say it quick because we we've all gone about this too much, but. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, yeah, as of yet to add to the tragic story that we won't get to see Edgar Wright's Ant-Man, there are yet another writing team on it, this time Andrew Barrer and Gabriel Ferreira, uh, Ferrari, who have to this point had a film that I've never really heard of, um, Haunt, it's called. Um, they were on the blacklist. They, these boys have basically never made a movie. No. Um, basically. Um, yeah. But, but they're working on something that's already there. What's encouraging to me is the fact that they're on this blacklist, like straight out of film school they had these this unproduced script that well yeah, it's but now that's being just, that just appears to me that Marvel picked two people that they could bully effectively yeah true but uh, I mean I feel like they have to be able to bring something new to it too I, I'm, I'm, I'm wary of the fact that there seems to be a reflex to go for writing duos yeah um, I just, but no, I just, these guys are it seems like it's going to become just a script written in committee and Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas, poor lads, just standing there with their tools in their hands wondering what to do, not even a script to go by. Can you imagine, like... 
Yeah, poor Michael Douglas and Paul Rudd. <laughs> I was being I, I was yeah. being very sarcastic when yeah. I said that. Obviously, they were having the time of their lives, much like Garrett Brooks would if those concerts did get cancelled. <laughs> people don't realise he wants them to be cancelled anyway. Um, please don't cancel the Garrett Brooks shows. That's a cry out from Film Ireland. Uh, meow, you have you got any news for the table, sir? Uh, I have a bit of news, uh, more domestic stuff, I suppose. Um, Film Limerick. Uh, have announced a new short film funding scheme. I've heard about this. Yeah, uh, similar to, well, I say similar, similar criteria to uh, the film-based schemes and the Galway Film Centre schemes. Um, the whole idea is that all you need from the word go is a script. A short script can't be more than 15 pages in length. You send it in with a director and a producer attached and you go from there, it'll be read and whittled down, again, based on the quality of the script and that's when all the production notes and the budgeting and that kind of thing comes on board but uh yeah it's tied into limerick city of culture uh the only criteria for it is that it um it'll be a budget of 15 grand and it uh has to use limerick as a location it's in order to kind of highlight limerick as a film location so um yeah that's excellent news i think because it's a hefty budget for a short and i'm always in, in favor of any kind of scheme that starts with the script yeah conversely to you know if we had michael douglas and paul rudd they wouldn't be standing no, with their tools in their hands. Around. I would have, I would, <laughs> I would prepare a script for those two boys in a, in a day. Yeah, if they were waiting on me. Um, anything else, sir? No, that's about it from from the home front. Well, we've the Galway Film Flash coming up. Oh, the Galway Film Flash yeah. this week. Yeah, yeah. we're that's gonna right. gonna wax poetic about that once I've actually seen something. But yeah, hoping to catch a few screenings. There's gonna be a big Film Ireland kind of visibility. Well, I say visibility. There's gonna be a big presence in terms of. Uh, I think we've someone going to every film, so hopefully we'll have a lot to say about that next week. And yeah, hopefully we'll uh, we'll have some more people who are at the film fly on on the next podcast. We'll yeah. try and put something together specifically for that. I'd say. Yeah. Um. Now, uh, well, let's get to uh, let's get to the centerpiece of our show, our, our homework our section. Homework. Our homework section. I thought yeah. I was done with school, but yeah. Uh, right. Um. We thought we were going for biopics, but it didn't really turn out like that. But there were both films that are based on real people. Like Batman. <laughs> uh, and I hit you up with The Madness of King George. Rory, what do you think? Um, in short, loved it. Uh, again, I'm waiting for you to give me a dud and it hasn't happened yet. In terms of a, a film, I'd equate this with, and I was telling you earlier, I knew within 10 minutes that this had to be based on a player, written by a playwright, and mm. it was, in fact, it's based on a play by Alan Bennett, and I think he adapted it himself as well. Um it reminded me of, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Oh, I have seen Tom Stoppard. Yeah. yeah, it's just that kind of, it's not heavy on the visuals. It, it's all about the performance and the dialogue um, and just the madness of the world it's set in, I suppose. Yeah, it goes a, a, a fair way to, to highlight that. Yeah, like I was 20 minutes in thinking, I'm because it starts with, um, I suppose you don't see King George for the first 10 minutes. It starts with his subordinates kind of bustling around preparing for him to mm. arrive. And obviously anyone who knows, I suppose, sorry, I should give a quick story. I think it's a, uh, King George the Third, I think he was, um, but basically uh, the, the 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 crazy one, the mad one who had to abdicate later in his life to his son, um, and it's kind of commonly known today that he, he was afflicted by I think porphyria or something it's called, but um, at the time they just thought he was a loon. Um, but this is set during I think the Regency crisis of I I don't remember the year, but basically it was the first time that they properly had to have him committed because he was was seen as incapable of looking after himself and thus a kingdom, um, and, and kind of I suppose his fight to. Uh, regain his senses. But, Who do they uh, have playing the doctor again? Oh, uh, Bilbo Baggins, Ian Holm. Ian Holm, that's he's right. Fantastic. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, the first 20 minutes I thought I was watching an episode of Blackadder because it's just snide uh, British nobles going around you know, making shitty Dressed remarks to one another. Dressed ridiculously. Yeah, and like you say, it makes no effort to hide that. Um, 
yeah, it was it was fantastic. It was really, um, yeah. We, I was kind of disputing whether it's actually a biopic because it focuses it 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 draws an arc from a specific episode of his life, which is his fall. His um, it's a his... very it's very much a capturing a moment piece, though. Yeah, um, because there are echoes of as well the um, like jealously in the English Civil War, uh, running around what what. The, what the Prince of Wales tries to make happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, just that inner interfamily uh, pettiness. Um, but overall, I thought it was brought together by really warm central performances. Yeah, like I, it, it, I thought everybody was very, very good when I saw it. Yeah, it's been a few years since you I had seen um, Nigel Hawthorne and Helen Mirren as mm. the king and queen, and there's actually a nice central relationship there. Usually, when I see a, a king and queen relationship on screen, I'm kind of like, okay, either arranged marriage or you know, they're mm. they're English cold nobles, but there's actually you know they call one another Mister King and Mrs King, and it's a really nice relationship. Um, Nigel Hawthorne is fantastic in it. Like he goes from I thought he was going to be a bit of a caricature, mm. which I was fine with. It was really really entertaining, but he does hit lows, and especially when Ian Holm comes in as a doctor who's basically oh, yeah. commits him. Um, I loved his relationship with the chamber boys and stuff. Yeah, um, like he became good mates with them, didn't he? I can't remember the name of the actor, but the guy Rupert Graves this is the guy who plays yeah. Lestrade on Sherlock at the moment. Yeah, um, he had a kind of a I don't know surrogate son relationship with him, but um, I won't reveal what happens at the end of the film, despite the fact that it's history. But um, yeah, it's 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 really 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 good and and surprising highs and lows. It's not the most visually engaging thing you'll ever see but as I say when it was based on a play the strength is in the dialogue the strength is in the characters so definitely worth a watch and now I've got uh, Levy and Le Rose which was the the, the first big film from Oliver Dehan Oliver Dehan that's it writer-director of uh, Grace of Monaco um, which famously and recently ridiculed Um now, Levy and La Rose is shot wonderfully. Much as, actually, to be fair, Grace and Monaco looks from the trailer. It looks like it's shot yeah, really well. Yeah, but that's a perfume ad. <laughs> and it, like, it, it's, it's good cinematography. Now, it's a, it, it captures... It's the biopic of a tragic French singer, uh, Edith Piaf. Lost many loves in her lifetime. Had had drug problems. Um, uh, but she was just the voice of France for a long, long time. Mm. Um, it juggles with different time periods. Like switches around constantly from her old age to her childhood, uh, early teen years, her years as a as a star, as a diva, her years in love with um with a French boxer named uh, Marcel, who's married, became an international scandal. Now, it it's all put back. Marion Cotillard plays all the roles except the childhood uh, Edith, and um, that. That's a major positive for the film that you can name. She's fantastic. It's yeah. shot brilliantly. The period pieces are really, really caught well. This is a man who likes like he likes shooting luxury. Really, the champagne looks so delicious in this yeah. film. Yeah, for me it wasn't it. For me it wasn't held together by by a center really so much. I could get the direct like the, he was trying to highlight something other than celebrating the life and music of Edith Piaf, and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find the objective way to look in. Now, in the end, it's glorious when she sings that wonderful song. I believe she actually wrote it for the film Inception. Um, <laughs> uh, Je ne guette rien. And that's fantastic because we have... Gen- and as well... Oh, I can't... She won an Oscar, didn't she, Marion yeah. Cotillard? Can't accredit it enough. She is fantastic in this film. Really, really something. 
and the makeup, uh, the makeup and everything is great as well. The 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 like Edith the teeth, had very yeah. protruding teeth and that, and she really rocks it. She's really very good. And the the body language of a diva, now, that it's pretty much for me. It was a four star film, and it would have been a five star film if if it didn't seem to have this notion that it needed to say something more other than to just tell her life story. Yeah. Like I, I think this is probably the counterpoint to when I say the madness of King George didn't feel like a biopic because it focused yeah. on a specific episode. Levian Rose could have used that, although mm. it's, its strength is that it's kind of. It seemed to think her whole life was a moment. Yeah. Is a thing. Like for me now, like my f- if my favorite biopic, um, embarrassing though it is to say, sometimes I love Gandhi. I love the film Gandhi. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh God. Uh, yeah, it's three uh, and a bit plus hours, but it it has no meaning other than the celebration of his life. Yeah. As like he was an amazing person, and I think watching Lavian LaRose and where uh, Edith Piaf came from and how she made it, I think that would have been enough for this. Yeah, uh, well, no. the Aviator is another great example. They just said this was an amazing man. Yeah, but that's uh, I suppose that that's focusing on a guy who like it's, it's a descent into insanity, despite the fact that he's like I, I tie that to the man as King George before. <laughs> yes, but, but yeah, but. That it stretches out over over an entire lifetime. Yeah. Now Levian Rose does the does this too, but I can't gather what extra meaning he's trying to attach to to her life so yeah. much. But I, I I I think if I think if it had just been a breast beating film about triumph in France, it would it would have it would work better for me. Still thought it was excellent. Yeah. Really really good. I want, it was unusual that they just kind of missed World War Two. For me personally, <laughs> that didn't happen. Yeah, that was just it was a bit strange for me. But overall, yeah, I thought it was really good and um, as well, it was easy, pleasant watching, which I would watch again. The music yeah. is fantastic. That's the biopics, biopics usually for me feel I'm in a different viewing mode when I watch them, and that's why the Majesty King George was such a pleasant surprise because it was genuinely entertaining. Whereas, yeah, it's kind of like you say you're looking for for something in Levion Rose. I'm always mm. like that and watch my biopics, but this did kind of just suck me in. And I think the reason for that is you never see her at her height. It doesn't start with her. No, young beautiful Marion Cotillard starts her as a kid and then you see Marion Cotillard when she's old also yeah instant Oscar for any young beautiful actress who can look old and you know yeah. shambling and lispy but um, she is she's brilliant yeah. I can't imagine there having been anyone I don't know who the other nominees were that year but I can't imagine anyone having been better than her that year yeah yeah but um, so overall four, four stars four stars yeah. Um meow we've got some reviewing to do uh, now first of all let's start off with a, a rather pleasant one we've both seen this is the, the sweet pill we take before talking about uh, day uh, <laughs> Dean de Blas sequel to the t- 2011's How to Train Your Dragon aka How to Train Your Dragon 2 is just fantastic yeah uh, well I suppose um, the key thing is for people to have seen the first one for us to, to, to say that this is high praise to say that it's a great film because yeah. the first one was very 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 the first good. one is very good and I didn't expect it to be either yeah and I had the same thing with this. Like I was going to go see it out of you know genuine enjoyment from the first, but I was willing to allow it. Allow it. How very gracious. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I was expecting it to be to more slum of the it same. a little bit. Like yeah, yeah. yeah, but it absolutely does not. It it it. It's it, better than the first yeah, one, without a doubt. And the first, I love the first one. This is more ambitious as well. Right for the first ten minutes, they give us a very frank reminder of why we love the first one so much. And it was during those ten minutes I was thinking, oh, it's kind of it's going to be more of the same, but that's okay because I'm really enjoying this. They had this sport called uh, dragon racing yeah. with the with the unnecessary cruelty to sheep, um, 
and it shows it, we're back in their village of uh, Burke with um, Hiccup and the lads using the dragons to survey a wider land one race enslaving another you might say there are deep undertones to this film <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah then it just straight away when you just think it's more thrill writing they actually I write this in my review now for this film they actually get to touch with some rather relevant and touching themes in this film Mm. Um, as the, the the plot broadens and he meets his estranged mother played by Kate Blanchett here um, and they meet dragon hunters and then um, uh, uh, an antagonist who's uh, exactly as evil as evil as he sounds by the name, name of Drago Bloodvist he's an action figure like every oh. line of dialogue he has is you pull a string and that comes out <laughs> <laughs> he's a bad bad man but um yeah, this this film did the did the Toy Story two on it. I I loved Toy Story two. Yeah, and I'd even say Shrek two, the kind of thing where it doesn't just rest on its laurels and feed you the same thing. It it kind of. I don't it, like Shrek two. Huh? Oh, you don't like Shrek two? We'll argue about that yeah. another time. Uh, it's all positive. It's how to train your dragon. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, Jay, what's it? Jay Baruco, uh, fantastic again. Yeah. Return. They 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 make the jump ahead of like basically exactly with twenty two to Jump Street lampoons. They don't do. The characters get get older. They've got scars, um, love interests, and the, the, the things like that have developed. Yeah. Essentially, um, and but then, what it does is it takes that slightly developed frame, and they do the same thing that Toy Story Two does again. In that, the animation is crispier, beards are more lush. Like that's where they make yeah. the big visual. You can changes. see, like I think there's one scene where uh, Gerard Butler's character Stoic, uh, mm. Hiccup's father, he's walking around and he rubs his neck, and you can see dirt moving when he rubs it. It rubs mm. off, and I was just sitting there kind of like that was unnecessary. I wouldn't have noticed. Lovely it. little details. Yeah, it's it was like, like I, I always, I, I, I hate. Uh, well, no, I don't hate because I love the movie. Bring it up again, like in Toy Story Two, where you can see the dust from the cheese poofs on your man's hand. Yeah, when yeah, he's yeah, asleep, yeah. Little things like that. They don't need to go that like it's Paul Greengrass as a toddler type shots, you know. You yeah, have, you, have, you have the camera tied to people's shoulders, following them around. You know, it's really, really good. It was very yeah, uh, but then the way that they actually choose to make their their, their real go at expanding it is in terms of a of a genuine mythology, which really works. Yeah, I, I remember the first one. I was kind of like, okay, so it's Vikings with dragons with Scottish accents and American accents, and I was kind of. But at the moment, ten minutes into this, I was on board with whatever. They were showing mm. us. Uh, also notable for um, uh, it has like you were talking about it being kind of um, dealing with relevant and possibly more grown up themes. Like I think it's understanding. Key. Yeah, but but I think it's key to remember that this is a kids film because there was one moment I caught myself where you happen upon again I suppose the relationship between Hiccup and is it Astrid the mm. the love interest I won't even call her just love interest she's genuinely not reduced to that but they have a kind of a nice cutesy uh, relationship that really reminded me of um, Andrew Garfield. And Emma Stone in, yeah. in, uh, in, the... in Spider-Man. I kind of resented that at first. I was like, it's too cutesy. It's, it's easy. Stop trying to make me relate to them just because they're, you know, there's a bit of banter. But then I just had to t- sit back and go, you know, what do I want here? For Hiccup to turn around to Astrid and say, you know, we need to take some time apart so I can realize, you know, I can figure out if my feelings for Toothless are sexual as well as everything. <laughs> it doesn't need to be gritty. Like, it's really just a lot of fun. And not even check your brain in at the door, but just check the cynicism and sit down and enjoy it. Oh, yeah. But uh, that's the thing. Uh, cynicism has no place in a film like this. No. It's it's way too, like it's way too much fun. Also, I think do, do they go for gay undertones in it? I think Did so. you pick up on this too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I which is great, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, that is kind of just unspoken. Yeah, it's, but it's brilliant. Yeah, uh-huh. and it, there's no yeah no because I've asked a few people and everybody got the same gist off of that line. Um, I won't I won't go into what it is. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's like a. And no just anti-homophobia. I don't know what the word is. It's yeah. more understanding. It's really good. Um, being a person, I think, is the phrase yeah, you're looking for. Being sound-like. 
Uh, yeah, it was oh, really good. A uh, special shout out to being able to pull off how introducing different plot threads to different things that could have just been gimmicks throughout yeah. and having them work at the plot, like Hiccup flying off Toothless's back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when they Wasn't managed to wing that, yeah, when they yeah. managed to wing that into the plot, I was very impressed. Anyway, uh, gosh enough, definitely go see this one. I've seen it twice already and I'd easily go see it again. Yeah, I'd call it the perfect kids film pure because it's the one that you're going to drag your kid along to five times just to justify <laughs> you seeing it. Now, In fact, I think we should have a child just so we can go see it again. That sound. Do not take your child to Transformers The Age of Extinction. Please Unless you don't. really don't like them. Like, leave them there. If it's a, if it's a form of punishment. If you want to turn them out to be to be boring, dullard people, like I can only assume the masses who are happily coughing up their hard-earned wages to see this mind-numbing crap, then by all means take your children to Transformers for Age of Extinction. Yeah. But, my now first of all, I must admit openly... I am not as fully qualified to review this film. <laughs> Cards on the table. I could only stand it for an hour and 20 minutes. And that's an hour and 20 minutes. Let's say how much? 80 minutes of a 165 minute running time. Yeah. That's true. Now, I'm not going... I will just name out two particular pet peeves of mine that were in this film and then my favourite line in the film and then I'm done because <laughs> there's been enough scorn heaped on this. First of all, out of any number of things to pick out of the bag that I hated out of it, one of the real reasons that contributed to me living, leaving is the music in this film is so bad and so didactic in terms of just the combination of images and what you're meant to feel, yeah. it's genuinely offensive to the human soul. And I wonder, does, I wonder, is Michael Bay even a person? <laughs> this is the thing. I need to preface anything I say about this film with, that I went in very willing to have my mind changed. Did not, I, I actually enjoy the first film. It's fine. Um, did not enjoy the second one. Loathed it, actually. Did not see the third one because of that and went to see this because there's been all these claims of a new direction and, you know... Fool me once, shame on. <laughs> you yeah. know, basically, um, I was willing to be on board with this new direction that all, all, all the pre-production notes have been talking about, you know, all the actors coming out saying it's a new direction. We have an Irish actor in, in a prominent role, Jack Rayner. You know, the, yeah, yeah, Jack Rayner. Well, I went to see the premiere with... I'm glad uh, you got a big paycheck, Jack Rayner. That's what I'm glad about. Yeah, I'm glad you can go on and do something else now. Is he even Irish in the film? He is. It is. There's a lucky chance. Oh, hold on. Joke. Don't we have to give, don't we have to give a, a synopsis? Don't we have to... Is there one? <laughs> Mark Wahlberg and his daughter, uh, he's an inventor. We she, know that because he wears glasses twice in the film. That's just so you know. That's true, yeah. And he has a, a, an angry robot dog outside the front. Uh, right, Mark Wahlberg and his daughter, who um, I think they might they might be trying to actually angle some, some strange incestuous situation <laughs> in that, because the body language between Mark Wahlberg and his on-screen daughter is just frankly inappropriate. Um yeah, and he discovers a, a transformer in his uh, in a particular nice self nodding moment to um, Michael Bay actually, where he's clearing out an old cinema. Yeah, the cinema owner says, "No, they just want to see rubbish, jumped up computer sequels nowadays." Is how cynical is this man? Where did he think he was going after that? Uh, how cynical is this man, like Michael Bay? Uh, then he discovers Optimus Prime. Then the government come along. We're supposed to think they're the bad guys to tell them to we don't want Transformers anymore and I'm totally on the government side because since the Transformers have arrived nothing but trouble as well I think the US government in this film are taking a bit of a Soviet Russia wing on uh, the death toll numbers from Transformers 3 in which 
they claim a catastrophe that is seemingly I don't know a 9-11 set beside a bunch of bathroom mirrors on either walls that's how big the Battle of Chicago was apparently only 1500 people died in it um, which they're clocking as a big number but it's just not responsible violence do you know what I mean <laughs> It's Were you expecting responsible violence? From no, us? but just but Joe, don't give a ballpark figure. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. just ignore it. That's more it respectful was bad. than saying it was really bad. Than saying fifteen hundred people. Now, the other thing that I I really hated uh, like a, a great deal about this is um, the amount of times that it slowed down to show us that like even in an awful, an awful lot of big budget crap, they even they'll have a new gadget or something. To tickle your interest with, mm. they don't even bother with those in this. This is just ah uh, no, they do. Uh, sorry, they do. They have a new gadget that is literally a uh, note taken from a twelve-year-old boy. They have a sword that is also a gun. That's oh, your I, new I, gadget. Didn't, I didn't actually <laughs> stay for that then. I yeah, didn't, I think I you didn't stay for that. that. Although I did see that in the promotional material, yeah. and I, do you know what? I I I, would, I, I it was outside another press screening that I overheard somebody say. I think it was for Jersey Boys. I overheard somebody say when they were looking at the promotional material. It's got Optimus Prime on the back of a dinosaur and a sword. What more do you need? And I was just thinking, I, I don't know, a month in a Buddhist monastery or something? <laughs> but it, no, I, I get where that kind of comment is coming from because these films don't, they just need to be fun. But they're not. They, they like No. Uh, yeah, I think, we, I'll just be very clear about what I think about it and then I'm going to stop talking about because we can wax on about it. But again, like you yeah. say, it's, it's just piling. I got to say my favourite line though before the interviews. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, yeah, my biggest issue with this is that it, it's like everything in it is designed to just overpower the senses all the time and it's jarring and it just throws you out of any kind of immersion uh, the, the characters are reduced to bad one-liners like there's some grand comic relief and it's that you, you would have missed it if you left that early but um, Stanley uh, Tucci is it? Mm. is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, he's first of all too good for this film but he's very good in it he has like a, a few quips he's a really campy kind of uh, I don't know Steve Jobs effort he's the head Something of a, like that, he's yeah. a tech mogul I, I, I did see him in it yeah. he, 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 he has a more prominent role towards the end that's fine but it's just there's no equating there's no and what happened with the woman in white at the start who just disappears she sees a dinosaur in the snow she comes back into it yeah the main thing you can say about female roles in this film is they're certainly there (laughs) they're absolutely there yeah, you even have the Transformers are horrible racial stereotypes like there's one who spouts a haiku at one point I've seen that yeah oh god take the paycheck lads take the paycheck This is this is real bad. So yeah, I just give, give us your line. Give us the high point of the film. Yeah, the high point of the film is this: um, the government they come onto Mark Wahlberg's land. He, uh, he says, in description of Optimus Prime, he's just a harmless robot. Answer: a harmless robot that killed fifteen hundred people. Hey, don't I, I thought you people need a warrant? The warrant's my face. That that makes the cut. Okay, we're done. Don't go see it. <laughs> Leave it alone. Let's not mention it again. Now another one we both saw. Another lovely little present, uh, pleasant indie surprise from this year. Cold in July. Yes. I stumbled into this by accident, actually. I went in looking for another screening of How to Train Your Dragon, and I was promptly told that I'm a grown man and I should see something else. So <laughs> I went to see Cold in July. Um, and was really, really surprised by it. Yeah, really liked it. Um, it's a... Quick synopsis, I suppose. Yeah. You have... Um, oh, what's his name? The actor who plays Dexter. Michael... Oh, God, I'll come back to that. I can't remember his actor. But anyway, you have this... Um, uh, southern kind of everyman nice guy family guy and the film opens with um, him basically waking up in bed alongside his wife and there's a noise downstairs so he very reluctantly goes and picks up the gun and goes down and basically what happens is this all happens in the first 10 minutes it's not a spoiler he, he kills the, the intruder by accident and um, 
basically the 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 feeling of around uh, around the town everyone's kind of congratulating him saying you know you you did what was right you defended your home don't feel bad about it he can't really shake off the guilt and things kind of start to kick off when um the murdered uh, criminal's father turns up at the funeral newly released from prison on parole and begins to stalk his family and it kind of takes from there but it takes a, a lot of unexpected turns that really it are does worse. yeah uh, this this is seemingly thematically relevant storyline with a lot of pulpy twists in there yeah absolutely i thought i was i was in watching um a better funded but probably slightly less interesting version of blue ruin for a while i was like oh it's gonna yeah. be one of these tense domestic things for a while but no it takes some turns it gets that, fair pulpy like yeah it turns into a comic very book good though I, lo- I loved sam shepherd in it yeah he was fantastic that's actually i would I'd say his arrival is a point where it just becomes a different film yeah oh but he's brilliant yeah not in a bad way it's genuinely really entertaining really fun it's it's like redneck raymond carver fiction <laughs> yeah, yeah um yeah. yeah no this was a, this was a big surprise for me again it uh, doesn't quite sort of the heights of uh, Blue Rune, but you can definitely love it in the sla- same genre slice of grotesque underbelly Americana. Basically, this kind of film is the it's what Out of the Furnace tried to kind of yeah fetishize, I suppose. Um, not that that's a bad film. I actually did enjoy that, but this is it, it's much more grounded and. Uh, even when it takes these odd turns. A, a little bit towards the end, it got a bit too shootery for me. There's a lot of slow-mo moments and mm. badass walks. And I was kind of like, okay, you've done enough that I'm still on board. But um, yeah, overall. Great fun. Yeah, really, really worth watching. And yeah, a nice mash of like, it's genuinely tense and frightening at times, but uh, there are enough twists and turns. And to be honest, that. when it did become pulpy, I actually breathed a sigh of relief because one thing that I think uh, can be a problem in cinema is um, it, it cropped up most recently to my mind in uh, Green Zone, the Paul Gra- Greengrass film, mm. is that I think tackling an issue like this fictitiously when it's still so relevant in the news and actually trying to deliver on the answers can come across as a mite premature and uh, disrespectful. And I'm talking, of course, with this story with relevance to the Zimmerman case. Yeah. Because to be fair... It's very. Nobody knows quite how they feel about it, about any of that yet. I don't think because it hasn't been resolved. It's a major issue. It, it that sort of thing can't happen again. And I felt the same thing with Green Zone. It sort of painted like a, the, it sort of gave you the answer. There were no weapons of mass destruction, and it, there were bad people. And it's a story you can't tie a bow on yet. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I was I was actually quite relieved when they went all pop on it because the the shooting itself. And that the, that was enough to bring the whole issue to mind, and then to explore it with a completely fiction, completely fictitious ending that wasn't in any way didactic, um, with regards to gun control and things like that. Yeah, um, yeah I thought it, I thought it really worked. The evolution to badass was uh, there's so much of that going on in this film. Yeah, um, and it's, yeah, they're they're just when it kind of takes a pulpy turn. I don't know. Like I say, it's done enough that you're on board with it, but it is. It's almost like it's a different film for the second hour. Mm. Just as enjoyable, but uh, definitely, yeah, definitely worth seeing. It'll surprise you, especially given like it has a, quite a bland poster. Uh, the premise is mildly interesting. The trailer was fine, but it's actually one that has been done a disservice. I would say in marketing, it's it's yeah. It's, it, it, it to be honest, it should be making more money than it, than it has been because yeah. it's. Uh, I know. Th- I know. Once people see this film. You'll hear an awful lot of people talking back. It's what people expected when they went to see Killing Them Softly. 
uh, yeah. which the general public didn't really warm to that. I quite liked it. Um, but uh, yeah, this is this is good. I I I'd, I'd recommend this to. This would be a safe enough one to bring up at a dinner dinner party as well. Yeah, be. absolutely. And um, if you're going to see it, see it soon because I think it's probably out in cinemas quite soon. It is, yeah. Um, uh, it's in its last run in Limerick anyway. Yeah. Now, next up, I have a, a film. I'm I can't really gush enough about this. The Golden Dream. Um, I've seen pretty much all the big can screeners from last year. Now this was my favorite one. Um, it's uh, directed by. Uh, uh, Diego uh, Canales Diaz, who worked as a cameraman, who's worked in a cameraman in Hollywood for the last three decades, with this idea for this film in mind for the last decade. He's worked with everybody. This film. Now, I interviewed him for Film Ireland. Uh, the sound quality wasn't up to scratch. We were going to c- cut the interview into the podcast, but uh, mostly transcription of uh, the interview will appear on the Film Ireland website. And I'd really recommend you click into. Uh, reading it because it's extraordinarily well written and Diego is a is a very interesting dude, um, very humble dude as well. But yeah, this was my favorite from last year. This tells the story of uh, three teenagers from Guatemala uh, who decide to leave poverty there and walk to the United States. Um, they meet an Indian boy along the way who they befriend, and uh, they continue to walk. And it's all about just regular hardships. Now Ken Loach. This man, he worked with has he's worked with Ken Loach in three separate occasions. Now he's championed this film, and a lot of people are saying that this guy is his protege. But this film is far too ambitious in everything it sets out to do, to be called the work of anybody's protege. It is, it, it, it's very much because first of all, not all for there's hardly a scene in the film where everybody on screen speaks the same language, so it really does go the extra distance to tell the story with images. Um, I, you know, I know it was shot in sequence and that that and shot with non-actors and you can really you can pick up on that sort of thing. Um, and he, he, camera moves so organically, it's very it's very easy to tell that they're non-actors. I um, I really really enjoy this. I I'd go as far as to say this. Well, this isn't the week that How to Train Your Dragon Two came out. This this will be my film of the week, and it's still playing at the IFI, and I I really recommend people get a, get along to see it because it is um, it'll be fascinating to see what this guy does next. Yeah. It's a as well the entire script is constructed from is is constructed from he interviewed six hundred illegal immigrants over the last ten years. It's all these are all real stories told, and it's also given this. His, but his main seed idea w- in making the film was to um, take these Latin American folk songs about the whole emigration journey and sort of tell them with pictures to, to just try it at a different medium and for that he felt he had to you know, research and as such the film moves at a very organic rhythm where it te- seems like the, re- the things that are happening are just intruding on their lives as opposed to things that somebody wrote. Yeah. Like, it's really, really good. It just happens at such a great pace. Nearly like a Robert Altman film. So, yeah, I really recommend that. Um, and I've got one more, which I'm going to pop into you, um, which is Melissa McCarthy's new comedy vehicle, Tammy, which is everything you're expecting, really. Um, she, a bit of a disappointment. She wrote it with Bill Falcone, I thought. Um, I thought, actually, her and Val, uh, her, her husband... Um, Bob Falcone, he plays the on her play, boss in no, oh, the, the, the air marshal, yeah. air marshal in Bridesmaids. And I thought that that was pretty much the best part of that film. He uh, he wrote this with her. Susan Sarandon stars as her mother. They embark on a Telma and Louise type road trip. Um, they do go out of their way to just 
escape from Hollywood cliches of women just either being, you know, entertaining because they're slightly manly. Like, they do try to give some independent streams of character and opinions on things. And they try to deliver them in a way that doesn't reflect exactly that whole boisterous bromance side of Hollywood, which I think is a fall down an awful lot of female movies can make. You know, just make your own female movie, essentially. Yeah. Now, for that, it should kind of be congratulated. But essentially, from the start, they're going for a comedy here. And they just have not got the laughs. It's just poorly conceived attempts at crass humour and poorly shot unrealised under-rehearsed and under-edited slapstick um, it basically they had money to spend on a budget so they knocked down a burger, burger shack that sort of thing yeah it's, it's like, oh, the awkward humour route basically where it's yeah it's it's it's, it's not good um, I wasn't expecting much but it was ju- it's just kind of dull and there's nothing worse than a dull comedy Any dramatic maybe Transformers marriage? 4 <laughs> So. Uh, but any kind of dramatic merit to weigh it out even I would think when you have the, the, Susan Sarandon uh, has still got it she's still got a great screen presence and the legs um, <laughs> but no uh, she she's quite good and quite entertaining um, there is a a fun part with uh, uh, there's a, a scene that has a run in with uh, lesbians at a 4th of July party which could have done better but um, it w- again I'm only picking out of things because I didn't want to hate on it so much. Hmm. It's just not funny. Yeah. Definitely not funny. You can miss this. A yeah, lot of people I'm, won't because she's a bit of a box office draw, but um, I've never really been a, um, a big fan of anything she's done, even Bridesmaids. I think the centerpiece of that film where everybody defecates in the bridal shop is just <laughs> deplorable. It's not funny at all. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not really too gone on her. I wasn't really too surprised. Yeah. It's this point in here because I was actually when when I saw that she was writing it and it was kind of I thought it would be, uh, you know Ben Stiller's Greenberg, which mm. people were arguing isn't a great film, but I thought it'd be her kind of you know slipping free from whatever she's been typing. I like Greenberg. Um, and you saw one more this week. I did you? indeed, and this one I'm not going to say too much about it because the release date is actually quite a bit off yet. It's it's out in mid August, so I'm hoping you're going to get to another press screening. There might be another one soon, mm. and we can talk about it properly. But yeah, anyway, it's um, David Michaud. I hope I'm pronouncing that. Oh, right. what? Yeah. Um, this is the one with Guy Pierce. Yeah, yeah, the rover. I don't want to hear anything. I'm going to talk about it very briefly and I'll say no more. Um, you have Guy Pierce and Robert Pattinson. This is the same director who did. Uh, it's a film you've been trying to get me to watch for ages and I have yet to, but I will definitely now. Animal uh, Kingdom is amazing. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, a brief stroke story. Um, it's post apocalyptic as, as far as that goes, set in Australia 10 years you after. Like post apocalyptic things. Uh, they're all right, like, you know. People are quiet and they leave me alone. You know, I think if everyone else is dead, I'll get a bit of quiet. But anyway, um, set uh, 10 years after this unnamed collapse, it's quite like the road in that you never find out what happens and 10 minutes in you stop caring and that you know that's not going to be the centerpiece of it. And it's about an unnamed um, rover, clever, you know, uh, kind of thing there, um, who has his car stolen and basically sets out to get it back and along the way um, takes a hostage, I suppose, the brother of one of the men who stole his car, uh, played by Robert Pattinson. And yeah, from there, it's just, it. I won't even say it takes turns you don't expect. Like the moment this starts, you know it's not something that you're going to figure out as a, a regular three-act three structure to. Or it's, I don't know. I've been excited about this for as long as I've seen yeah. Animal Kingdom. This guy, I can't, I, see Animal Kingdom, anyone who's listening who hasn't seen it, this guy is an exemplary storyteller. He really finds the different way to look inside something. Yeah. Um, like it, it, it throws again. I won't go into too much detail because I don't want to spoil it. For, but it, it, it throws 
when I when I'm in a film, I'm even unconsciously trying to figure out where it'll go or what the beats are or you know even things like how the soundtrack works because you know I'm pretentious and stuff. But um, this just threw me off so many times, but in the best possible way because it's quite like Blue Rune and that there's just a, a kind of a, 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 a ball in your stomach throughout the whole thing and you don't know what's mm. going to happen. And yeah, it, it's not. Tr- I don't know. I don't think it's trying to say anything. It's just unrelenting. Dark is even the wrong term because it's not trying for that. It's just really really bleak really really empty it feels like it i mean it's it's shot in australia but they're the landscape in it it feels like he just went out in the outback you know it, it doesn't feel like anyone ever had to shut down a road so he could shoot here he found places where there is just no one there is nothing happening and i'd actually give a big shout out to this is the best role i've ever seen robert Pattinson in. he is fantastic and that's really looking forward to that and yeah. i will see a press screening of my own uh for that now just to dole out some more homework uh in I in a, uh, accordance with uh, the Galway film fly happening this week, mm-hmm. I thought we'd go with Irish films. So I'm going to maybe good. see. Have you ever seen Neil Jordan's adaptation of Pat McCabe's book, Breakfast on Pluto? I Breakfast on Pluto. Pluto. That's the one. Um, okay. Well, I'll give that a go. Give it a go. And this would be, I suppose, uh, related to one I'm hoping to catch at the film or the film festival, even which is uh, Gerard Bart's Glasslands with Jack Rayner's next role, which I hope is is better than Transformers. Um, so I will give you uh, his first film, uh, Pilgrim Hill, which was shot. I've not seen it. Five grand loan from the credit union is kind of the one that kind of I suppose got him to the position that he can now make whatever he wants. I suppose. So um, yeah, I'd be interested to see what you think of that. I'll be interested to watch it. Mm. All right, that's uh, us. That's it for us in the basement. Now um, we're gonna. Um, it's a basement. I heard bay, and I actually shuddered a bit. <laughs> that's the headspace I'm in right now. Uh, to be honest, we're definitely. I, I don't reckon we're gonna miss the next bi-weekly launch because we plan on staying in this basement until Age of Extinction is out of cinemas. And by the looks of its initial box office receipts, that could be another three weeks. Or It'll so. be a world quite like the Rover when we're finished. I imagine. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm Donnie Tiernan. I'm Rory Moore. And. Uh, Wait, wait, wait. I have a Mrs. Doubtfire quote to end it. Um, oh, God. Just because we don't love each other anymore doesn't mean we don't love you. No, we're taking bye that bye. child and we're bringing him <laughs> down to train your dragon. <laughs> anyway, until next time. Bye-bye.